If we were to summarize what the Reformation is all about, we could say that there are five great principles or five core teachings that the church rediscovered. When I was in seminary, Dr. Munseth used to call these the hallmarks of the Reformation. Uh, Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, for the glory of God alone. And so this morning we look at the first of these, Scripture alone, the Word of God alone, and we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we read verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. And Paul writes to Timothy, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, these are words, words inspired by your Holy Spirit. You're an errant word to us today. We stand upon this inerrant word and give you praise and glory for the truth that you've revealed to us. Lord, thank you for these ancient words that we have sung about today. And yet life-giving words, life-sustaining words. And Father, we pray that you would use now this passage of Scripture to remind us of what we stand upon today as Reformation believers that the Scripture alone is our standard, our foundation for all that we believe. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When Martin Luther spoke of the Scripture alone, his concern was primarily for the authority of Scripture. Luther lived in a day when the church did not view the Scripture alone as the ultimate authority. It was Scripture plus the traditions of the church that came from bishops and church councils and the Pope. And as a result, the church of that day was teaching things that really were not consistent with the Word of God. And Luther came to the very firm conviction that our ultimate authority is in the Word of God and in that Word alone. This core teaching of Scripture alone has been called the formal principle of the Reformation. It stands at the very beginning and it gives form or direction to all that Christians affirm. It is the foundation for everything that we believe. And so therefore, if we do not get this principle right, we will not get the other principles correct either. In other words, if we don't understand that the Word of God alone is our ultimate authority, then we are headed down a very slippery slope. 
So we must begin here with Scripture alone. Paul gives us three reasons why we must stand on Scripture alone. First of all, he tells us that the Scripture alone is powerful. The Scripture alone is powerful. In verse 14, Paul challenges Timothy to continue in the Word of God, and he gives him two reasons why. Paul says, first of all, Timothy, you have seen the power of God at work in the lives of others. Verse 14, he says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. And then he says, knowing from whom you have learned them, knowing from whom you have learned them, the word whom in verse 14, is, is plural. So Paul is obviously reminding Timothy that there was more than one. There were several who taught him God's Word. And it began in his home. It started with his grandmother and his mother. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And so Paul, or excuse me, so Timothy had the blessing of a Christian grandmother, a Christian mother who taught him the Word of God from the time that he was a little child, and he had seen what God's Word had done in their lives. He witnessed the power of God's Word to transform the life of his mother and the life of his grandmother. I know many of you have grown up in a Christian home. And I would imagine the older that you get, the more grateful you are that you had a mother and a father that loved Jesus and taught you the Word of God when you were little. And I can praise God that I grew up in that kind of a home. And I can tell you that I never, ever doubted the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture because I saw the Word of God displayed in the lives of my parents. Now, there were times when I may have strayed. There were times when I was rebellious in my heart. But I never doubted that God's Word is true and that Jesus Christ is who He says He is because I saw the evidence of it in my parents. And I praise God for that. And so as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, continue in what you've learned, knowing from whom you learned it. Your mother, your grandmother, who were changed by that word. But it wasn't just Timothy's mother and grandmother that convinced him of the power of God's word. Timothy also had the example of the Apostle Paul to convince him of the power of that word. And just think of this man, this, this Saul of Tarsus, this man who hated Jesus, this man who, who persecuted the church, but a man whose life was dramatically and miraculously changed. And when you see the number one enemy of the church become a committed follower of Jesus Christ, it can't help but make an impact on your life. And so Paul says, Timothy, continue in this word because you've seen what it has done in the lives of others. 
But he also challenges Timothy to continue in God's Word because he himself had experienced the power of God's Word in his own life. Verse 15, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so the Word of God was that which brought Timothy into a living relationship with Jesus. And that's why we would say as Lutherans that we believe that the Word of God is the primary means of grace. God works through that Word. God convicts of sin through that Word. God points to Jesus through that Word. And Timothy experienced that in his own life. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. James 1.18 says that we have been brought forth by the Word of truth. 1 Peter 1.23 says we are born again not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible seed through the living and abiding Word of God. Do we believe this today? Are we convinced that God's Word alone is what changes the lives of people? I would tell you that the liberal churches in our country certainly don't believe this anymore. They quit preaching the Bible a long time ago. But what about the so-called evangelical churches? Are evangelicals convinced that God's Word alone is what changes the lives of people? I've been reading a book by James Montgomery Boyce entitled, Whatever Happened to the Gospel of Grace? And he talks about the five solas of the Reformation. And he says this, he says, Evangelicals are not heretics, at least not consciously. If we ask whether the Bible is the authoritative and errant word of God, most will answer affirmatively, at least if the question is asked in traditional ways, is the Bible God's Word? Of course. All evangelicals know that. Is it authoritative? Yes, that too. Inerrant? Most evangelicals will will affirm inerrancy. Then he goes on to say this. He says, But many evangelicals have abandoned the Bible all the same simply because they do not think it is adequate for the challenges we face today. He says they do not think it is sufficient for winning people to Christ in this age, so they turn to felt-need sermons or entertainment or signs and wonders instead. They do not think the Bible is sufficient for achieving Christian growth, so they turn to therapy groups or Christian counseling. They do not think it is sufficient for making God's will known, so they look for external signs or revelations. They do not think it is adequate for changing our society, so they establish evangelical lobby groups in Washington to elect Christian congressmen, senators, presidents, and other officials. They seek change by power, politics, and money. A Christian university student shared a room with a Muslim student 
And as they became friends, their conversation began to turn to what they believed. And so the believer asked the Muslim if he had ever read the Bible, and he said no, he hadn't. But then asked if the Christian had ever read the Quran, and he said no, he hadn't either. So they made a commitment that they would read together from the Bible one week and from the Quran the next week. And they did that through the first semester of their schooling. Something happened to that Muslim young man. He began to see his need for Jesus. And he received Christ as his Savior. And his life was changed. And one evening, late in the term, he burst into the room of this Christian man and he said, you deceived me. And the Christian thought, oh no, what's he going to say now? So he said, what are you talking about? And the new believer opened his Bible and said, I've been reading through it like you told me. And I just read that the Word of God is living and active. And then he grinned. He said, you knew all along that the Bible contained God's power and that the Quran is a book like any other. Then he said, I never had a chance. <laughs> I never had a chance. Because we began to read This book that is unlike any other book because this is the living and abiding Word of God. And we can have confidence that the Word of God is still powerful enough to change the lives of people. We don't need to try everything else the world tries. We need to proclaim law and gospel and let God take that Word and use it to change the lives of people. The Scripture alone is powerful, life-changing. The second thing Paul tells us here is that the Scripture alone is inspired. Look at verse 16. Paul says, All Scripture is given by, or excuse me, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in Righteousness. So what does Paul mean when he says that all Scripture is inspired by God? The phrase that is translated inspired by God could be literally translated God-breathed. And some of the translations do translate it that way. In other words, the words of Scripture come from the very mouth of God. Though He used human authors, it is His Word. It is God's Word coming from His mouth. And Paul is careful to say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that little word all is obviously an important word. Because if some of Scripture was inspired and some of it wasn't, how would we know what is and what isn't? And that would really destroy the very foundation of our faith because we could never really know for sure is this part of that Word that is inspired or not. All Scripture is God-breathed. And the words that Paul uses here to describe God's Word are very important. The word writings, he talks about the sacred writings. The word writings comes from the Greek word grama and refers to that which is drawn or written like 
a letter. Our word grammar comes from this word. The word scripture is the word graphe and refers to a writing or a document. So what is Paul saying here? He is saying that the very words, the very words are inspired by God. The writings are inspired by God. And that's what we mean by the verbal inspiration of Scripture. When people ask you, do you believe in the verbal inspiration of Scripture as evangelical Reformation Bible believers? We'd say absolutely. We believe the very words and the documents are inspired by God. Now, why is that important? Some might say, why is that important? We just believe it's God's Word. It's important. Very important. If the words of Scripture are inspired by God, then every word is the Word of God. The Scripture doesn't just contain the Word of God. The Scripture is the Word of God. And I remember my dad saying that back in the 60s when there was mergers going on within the Lutheran church. And you had some that would say, well, the Bible contains the Word of God, but it is not completely the Word of God. Might be true in areas of salvation, but we can't really trust it in areas of science and history and so on and so forth. There might be errors there. The very words of God here are inspired by Him. And there are two important implications of this truth. If every word is inspired by God, then it is inerrant. It has to be because God does not err. And if they are His words, then they are inerrant words. And that was a word, probably still today, that people don't want to use. The liberals. We, we use that word unashamedly. The inerrant Word of God, because God cannot err. And if the Scripture is His Word, His writings, we stand on that truth. The inerrancy of Scripture. And secondly, if every word of Scripture is the Word of God, then the Bible is authoritative. It has to be authoritative because God's Word is the final Word. Someone has said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. But a better way to put it would be this. God said it. That settles it. Whether you and I believe it or not, that settles it. If God said it, That settles it. His word is final. His word is our authority. Some of you are familiar with Martin Anderson's adult class manual. He says, because the Bible is inspired by God, it is the supreme authority in all matters of faith and life. All doctrines, as well as everything in our conduct, must be tested by it and be in accord with it. Any doctrine that is not in full accord with the teachings of the Bible must be rejected. And anything in life and conduct which is contrary to the Bible is evil and must be opposed. The Bible is the supreme authority in all these matters. And then he talks about Jesus. 
How many times did Jesus ask the question, what does the Scripture say? Or have you not read? Or is it not written? And so what did Jesus do? He constantly pointed back to the Scriptures. The teachings of the Scriptures settled all matters for Jesus. Martin Anderson says then, Therefore, when we are considering any question of doctrine, for example, creation, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the purpose of Christ's sufferings, or any other matter of religious belief, the only question is this. What does the Bible say? Likewise, in all our questions of conduct, as, for example, our duties to our neighbor, the question of divorce or the right observance of the Lord's Day, we have only to ascertain the teachings of the Bible on these points. We must say with our Lord, what saith the Scriptures? The Bible speaks the final word. The final word in all matters of faith and life. So we don't look at opinion polls to find out what is right. We don't look to our culture to find out what is right. We don't even look to our own human reasoning or our opinion as to what is right. The only question we should ask is, what does God's Word say? Are you in agreement with that? Do we stand on that? Are we willing to stand on that? Or is it just something we say we believe? Are we willing to stand on that? God's Word is inspired. And therefore, the authority in all matters of faith and life. And finally, the third lesson. The Scripture alone is powerful. The Scripture alone is inspired. The Scripture alone is profitable. Verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. And then he mentions four things for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Notice first teaching. Would you agree that there are many things that are taught in this world that aren't worth learning? Have you found some of those things? Things that really aren't worth learning. Because they're of no profit. I look back on what I learned, some of the things I learned when I was in college, and I just think, are you kidding me? <laughs> we're, we're spending tuition money to learn this stuff? This garbage that is contrary to the Word of God? Really? What profit was there? But boy, I'll tell you, when I went to seminary, I was ready to soak in. Absolutely soak in the truth of God's Word. I'd spent four years hearing garbage, filtering everything I heard, and I could just soak in God's Word. And I learned about creation. I learned about the fall. I learned about the need for a Savior. I learned about law and gospel and what it means to live a Christian life and what it means to establish a free and living congregation and what it means to be a pastor. So anytime we open the Bible, anytime we hear the Word of God proclaimed, it is profitable. 
It teaches us. And we need to be open to God's teaching. The Bible is profitable for reproof. Although the Bible teaches us how we ought to live, there are times when we get off track. We sin against God in thought, in word or deed. And this is where reproof comes in. God's Word convicts us of our sin by showing us where we have been wrong. And that's not always fun, is it? Being reproved can be a painful thing, and our sinful flesh wants to avoid that, doesn't it? There was a missionary that gave a Bible to one of the natives. And about two weeks later, the native brought it back and said, I don't want this book anymore. And the missionary says, why do you not want this book anymore? He says, because it kicks me every time I read it. (laughs) That's reproof. And it's needed, isn't it? Do you need reproof? I do. God's Word provides that. Not only reproof, but correction. If all that the Bible did was to reprove us, we would eventually end up in despair. But having reproved us, the Word of God then corrects us. And the word correction here was used to describe the restoring of something to an upright state. The restoring of something to an upright state. Having been knocked down, then we are corrected. We're put in an upright state, put in the right position again. We play basketball here on Tuesdays and Friday mornings. When I run Jim Rasmussen over and knock him down, I always pick him up, right? That's correction. Put him in an upright state again. So when the law reproves us, the gospel restores us to an upright state. And then it trains us in righteousness. The word training was originally used to describe the training of of children. But eventually it came to be used of any sort of training, and it is a fitting word to describe what we need as believers. Because when we are born again, we are babes in Christ, and we need to grow, we need to mature, we need to be trained in the teaching of God's Word. And Peter says in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, we are to be like newborn babies desiring the milk of the Word that we might grow, right? When a little baby is born, everybody comes around and says, oh, how cute, how cute. But if ten years later that baby was still a little baby, we wouldn't say that's cute. We'd say there's something wrong. The baby needs to grow and develop. And as believers in Jesus, we need to grow and develop. And as we grow in God's Word, notice what the result is then, verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So what Paul is saying here is that we can have confidence in God's Word. It is sufficient. It is adequate. 
It prepares us for every good work. We need nothing more than this life-giving, life-sustaining, nourishing Word. And yet, how many Christians neglect it? My dad used to say, you know, there's people that come to church on Sunday and they're just spoon-fed. pastor opens up the Bible and he gives you some food and that's all you have for the week. You don't grow that way. You don't mature that way. And if that's the way that you're living, you are neglecting the very foundation of of the Christian life, the, the Word of God. You need it. You need it desperately. If you're going to grow, you need that Word every day. And notice what that Word does. I refer to Psalm 19. Part of it was read this morning. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. And then listen to this. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Did you hear all that? Is the Word of God profitable? Absolutely. Then why do we neglect that Word? Are you committed to spend time in that Word daily? That which is sweeter than honey? That which is more valuable than gold? That which enlightens your eyes and, and gives you wisdom? The Word of God is profitable. Do you see the value of God's Word? Spending time every day in that Word. Don't miss out on the blessing. God's Word is powerful. God's Word is profitable. And I encourage you to become, if you aren't already, a faithful student of God's Word. And let God use that Word to transform your life day by day. Make you more like Jesus. That you might be salt and light in this world. Let's pray. Father, we have a firm foundation in Your inspired, inerrant, life-giving, life-sustaining Word. Sola Scriptura. The Word alone. Scripture alone. Thank You, Lord, for those who rediscovered that truth 500 years ago. Men like Luther were willing to stand upon that truth, stand upon the Word regardless of the cost. And there was a cost. Father, help us to stand on that Word as well. As Luther said, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. 
Lord, thank You for the power of Your Word. Use it in our lives daily, and then, Father, help us as we share it with others. As we take advantage of those open doors, that You would use that Word to bring others into a living relationship with Jesus, to whom all of Scripture points to. Lord, thank You for this day and all that You've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.